This podcast is a member of the Voices of Wrestling podcasting network. Visit VoicesOfWrestling.com to hear the rest of our great podcasts, as well as show reviews, columns, opinions, and updates across the world of wrestling. Welcome to Jumping Bomb Audio. Jumping Bomb Audio, a podcast all about Joshi Pro Wrestling. I'm Aaron, and I am joined by my co-host Taylor. What's up, Taylor? Hi, Aaron. Happy May. We've uh, made it. We've made it to May. <laughs> we have. Uh, I'm not sure that's anything to celebrate, really, Taylor. Although I guess spring is coming. That's nice. Spring is coming. How's the weather? Uh, how's the weather in your neck of the woods? It's been pretty nice, actually. I mean, too much rain, I thought, for sure. And like two weeks ago, it snowed. But it's starting to come around, and it's definitely been like a nice uh, a nice few, I don't know, a nice week or so, at least. How, how's it there in New York? Yeah, it is crazy that you talk about snow, because I've been seeing all these places getting snow, and New York has been very sort of consistently nice in the 60s, although I think Tuesday it's supposed to get up into the high 70s, low 80s. So it's really going to be uh, quite warm, but it's been uh, good weather. I've had the windows open in my apartment for the last few weeks, which has been very nice. So I've been enjoying the good weather. Yeah, I figured it was nice. I just saw a friend of the show, Aaron Taub. It was his birthday yesterday, and I saw a lot of posts. He went on a, I don't know, I don't think it was the Staten Island Ferry, but some sort of ferry, and uh, they went around to some restaurants and it looked like it was very nice. So, uh, and I guess if people are listening to this and don't know Aaron, uh, he lives in Queens. So, uh, yeah, so it was in New York and you also live in New York city. So that's how I've put this together. I do. And there are a lot of, um, I'm assuming it probably, if he was going up to a bunch of restaurants, I'm assuming it probably wasn't the Staten Island ferry. Um, yeah, that doesn't make much sense. But there are a number of ferries that will take you uh, to many places all around um, the islands here in uh, New York City. <laughs> well, if you don't know, Aaron's nickname is Big Treat. The man loves to eat. And so uh, he's so funny. We're like, we were in Japan together and you're like, get food. Like you will have eaten and you'll leave from dinner. And immediately he's like scoping out a place to get a snack like right after. So... His uh, his lovely girlfriend uh, just decided to take him to eat a lot of things for his birthday. So a nice birthday, as you can imagine. Yeah, now that uh, things in New York are finally uh, opening back up, I'm sure it was lots. He had lots to choose from. Yes, it appeared to all be outside, you know. So still keeping it. I don't know what the rules are in New York, but um, still keeping it pretty safe. But I, th I think Aaron is is vaxxed, so he's all good anyway. All right. Well, that's the Aaron Taub update for Jumping Bomb. Audio. I'm sure everybody was uh, on pins and needles worrying about that. But make sure you're following us on Twitter at JBomb Audio. I'm at Aaron Like the Car. Taylor's at Tay Mambo. You can subscribe to the show. You just type in Jumping Bomb Audio on whatever podcast app you like to use. I use Overcast, in case you're wondering. 
Uh, type that in, hit subscribe, and you'll get all our shows as soon as they come out uh, every other Monday. If you use the Apple Podcast app for that, you can give us a five-star rating and review there. We would really appreciate it. Helps people find the show uh, if they're interested in Joshi. And if you just want to donate to the show, you can go to redcircle.com slash shows slash jumping dash bomb dash audio and throw us a few bucks uh, for all the joy you get from our uh, every two-week audio. I was going to say bi-weekly, and I know people really get in arguments about- Oh, don't uh, start. Bi-weekly don't start. versus bi-monthly. So. Because I- Do you say bi-weekly? Because I would say bi-monthly. That would be my, that would be my thing. Because my thought is always it should be, what is the period of time, and how many times in that period does it happen? Every month, it happens twice. I mean, pretty much, unless there's some weird- Right. Um, date thing, which would make it buy twice monthly. That would be my argument. I agree with that logic. Absolutely. Thank you. Last time I said that, though, people like really push back and they're like, no, 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 it should be bi-weekly. I'm like, this is this is really not right. <laughs> this is not right. <laughs> like, how has no one ever sat down and be like, hey, let's sort this out. Yeah, if you search like bi-weekly, it just says both, uh, either twice a week or every other week, which is insane. It can't mean both. It, it should only mean one of those things. I just like the idea that these that this was made, that someone came up with this and was like, eh, it can be both. Who cares? And then never sorted it out. I think it's more that it bi-monthly used to mean twice a month, and then people started using bi-weekly to mean that, and it just evolved to where it's like, well... Nobody knows, so we'll just go with it. Well, this is a bi-monthly podcast. Thank you very much. You know, we should – I was just learning this morning about people doing literal on-the-ground protest because their soccer team is bad or something. And uh, this feels like a more important thing to protest, Um, the the screwed-up understanding of bi-monthly versus bi-weekly. Do you agree with me? I do agree with you. Thank you. Although I fear that we have some European listeners, so <laughs> they may push back on my uh, anti-soccer protest and me calling it soccer. Although that is not um, not unique just to Europe. I, I do remember this wasn't a protest, but the year that the Cleveland Browns went 0-16, um, they held a parade in Cleveland to celebrate going 0-16, which made ver- a number of people very mad uh i mean yeah like i'm not saying i've never gotten uh red mad and nude about uh sports because i certainly have but uh, i have not protested anything related to uh, a sport so i feel good about that at least you uh what about you taylor Do you get mad about sports you, you strike me as a pretty even keeled kind of guy you know i used to growing up i used to get uh, very mad about sports, not helped by the fact that I grew up in Cleveland, where often uh, the teams were very bad or would lose in sort of crushing ways that became so notorious that every time a Cleveland team does well, they do these sort of highlights that are like, here's every single time Cleveland was good and then something terrible happened. And it's just run over and over again. But you are correct. As I've as I've grown, um, 
I have become much more zen about the whole thing. I did see a championship for one of my teams in 2016, which is a huge help. Once you sort of won, to be like, it's okay, we've won before. You know, I don't know if in 20 years I'll be like, I want another one. But for now, I'm sort of very zen um, about the teams that I follow. Yeah, I was pretty, I mean, it was, of course, lucky at the time, but it's like, I was, what, 10 years old, Kentucky won in 96, went to the finals in 97 and lost, won again in 98. I just kind of assumed that's what would happen every year, you know? (laughs) And then uh, it hasn't always happened that way since. Well, and I grew up um, following the Cleveland Indians, and they went to the World Series in 95 when I was seven, and I remember they lost. They didn't do particularly well. I mean, they didn't get totally blown away. But I remember thinking, oh, that's okay. You know, they, they got to the World Series. That's great. And they didn't win. That's okay. They'll do it again maybe in a few years because I was so young. Then they got back in 97 um, and notoriously blew a uh, ninth inning, blew it in the ninth inning, lost in extra innings. And I remember that I had to go to bed because in 97, I was only nine um, at the time. I went to bed with the Indians, I believe, in the lead. And woke up the next day and was like, they won, right? We're champions. And my mother was like, no, they lost. And I burst into tears. Would have been worse if you sat through it, probably. Yeah. So. All right. Well, that's the sports corner. We've had the air tab corner and the sports corner of JBA. Uh, let's get into the news of uh, Joshi this week. Uh, not a ton to talk about this week because... Uh, there's been a new state of emergency in Japan in like four places, I think, that they have you know shut down a lot of things or you know just made more strict um, strict restrictions. This is just what I'm going to go with, even though that sucks. Uh, so that's led to a lot of shows getting canceled, uh, most notably, probably uh, Stardom's April 30th Corquin, which would have had the uh, Cinderella Tournament Finals, and the poor. Uh, Gaiaism show gets canceled again, Taylor. Yes, it's seemingly a cursed show, which is really hard to believe. I was so excited for it last year. It got delayed to this year. Um, and I guess now it is delayed again. Uh, so who who knows when uh, we will see this show happen? Um you know, I hope it's sooner rather than later. I hope we're not waiting another year because um, that would be a bummer. You know, hopefully they can find um, a space to do it maybe in the next few months, maybe once they get sort of away from this state of emergency uh, stuff that's happening. It does sort of feel like a flashback to, you know, a year ago doing this podcast. You know, Gaiaism's getting delayed. We're in a state of emergency. We're talking about, you know, these shows uh, being canceled or postponed. We're going to be talking about shows uh, and covering shows here that had no fans, went ahead with no fans. Uh, So really feels like we're sort of, uh, if not back at square one, certainly close to uh, to that place. Yeah, it seems to have been pretty tough. Uh, It seems to be ongoing, pretty tough in Japan as far as uh, a very slow rollout of uh, the vaccine there. I'm not 
an expert on Japan or, um, you know, the government in Japan or anything. So it seems like it's going very poorly. And that's coming from someone who lives in a country where it went very poorly for a very long time. Uh, but, you know, I, I don't know all the ins and outs of everything going on. Yeah, certainly from what I've heard, um, you know, everyone talks about, oh, clap crowds. I can't wait until, you know, the crowds can be full size again and can cheer. But it seems like that that's probably um, not going to return until probably 2022. Uh, the way things are looking or from the things that I've heard. Um, as you mentioned, they did, uh, Japan did a, a better job sort of at the outset than uh, we did at controlling it, which certainly helps. But, you know, as you know, it's really the vaccines that really help to get some normality um, back. And it seems like Japan hasn't quite gotten there yet. So we may see uh, this happen uh, maybe again, you know, hopefully not. Hopefully everyone can carry on as usual, but we may see this again, or we may see the state of emergency they've been talking about extending it um, for a little while longer. So just fingers crossed as with, you know, everything, not just related to wrestling, but that, you know, everything can get back to normal sooner rather than later. It's funny because I had gotten to the point where I was like, okay, I'm going to start planning a spring 2022 trip to Japan. And now I'm starting to question whether that's actually going to be possible at this point. Yeah, I haven't even, I'm at the point, you know, cause I've been thinking about, okay, when do I want to go back? But I'm at the point where I'm like, I'm going to wait until everything settles to even start thinking about when to go back. Cause I'm just assuming that any plans I would make now, probably would be for the next, you know, year, year plus maybe. And there is the chance that, you know, things are continuing. So I'm like, I'm just going to wait till everything is either back to normal or as close to normal as they can get to even think about it. Cause I can't even use the <laughs> headspace for that right now. Although I was thinking, you know, we've been doing this podcast for a, just over a year sort of in these circumstances of, you know, our first show was the stardom, no people gate show. And it's probably going to continue for a while longer. I was thinking the first show back with full fans and full cheering and everything like that, we're going to come on this podcast and it's going to be like our favorite show of all time. And we're going to be like, every match was so good. The crowd was incredible. Uh, yeah, dude, I've been watching, um, some death matches for a uh, a podcast I'm going to do on the Everything Elite Patreon. And I watched, I think it was Okabayashi and somebody in 2010. Gosh, who's the other guy in the match? Um, Kobayashi. So, so one of those is wrong. It was Ishikawa, Shuji Ishikawa and Abdullah Kobayashi. Okay, I'm there. And the crowd... I don't know. I was just like, is this the wildest crowd that's ever existed in pro wrestling? Or have I just not seen a hot crowd in a while? Because I was like losing my mind watching this match. So yeah, I think you're right, basically. Yeah, that was like when I watched the um, Hikaru Shida uh, Ryu Mizunami match from Wave um, a couple years ago when it was decided in AEW that, you know, um, that was going to be the women's title match. 
and I was watching it and I was like, oh my God, this crowd is, they're, they're so great. There must be tons of people. It was a Corican show. I was like, there must be tons of people at this Corican. And I looked it up on cage match and it was like 401 um, attendants. And it was just that they could make noise. So I was like, whoa, this crowd is amazing. Yeah. If I watched the, um, I should have said this now because I, I'm struggling to remember the people who were involved, but you know, the famous tag match from like from nineties, all Japan. Oh yes. Mm-hmm. If I would were to watch that right now, it would probably blow. I mean, I would, I'd probably die while watching it from excitement of just how crazy the crowd would be. Anyway. Yes. I will look forward to that. My only thing, Taylor is I kind of wanted to plan it now because I thought I could probably get cheap tickets now. And once everything is actually open, the tickets will probably go back up. So that was really my only thought. But you're right. Uh, it's just going to – it's a path that can only lead to disappointment. All right. Some other news. Uh, wave announced their Catch the Wave Young Wave block. Uh, we'll have Shizuku Tsukata from Wave, Yappy from Ice Ribbon, Wakatsukayama from uh, Actress Girls Colors, Ami Miura from Actress Girls Beginning, Tomoko Inaba from Just Tap Out, and Chie Ozora from Pure J. Yeah, good uh, mix of talent. I believe the way it's working is that the winner of the Young Wave block is then put into the um, rest of the Catch the Wave tournament. I don't know exactly what the schedule is, um, but I think that's what I read or what I heard. Um, but yeah, I'm, I'm interested. I'm hoping um, a lot of this is available to watch because I think it's a fun um, group. I'm excited to see Inaba here. I think that she's been really good and Russell, but Russell's for a company that's maybe a little bit, um, you know, off the, off the sort of beaten path. Uh, Sukata from wave has been doing quite a lot already, even though she's uh, very new. Um, so a really good group. And I'm looking forward to seeing who, can really use uh, use the tournament as a good stepping stone and who can come out uh, victorious. And then we also found out that uh, Rina Shingaki from 2AW has announced that she is retiring in November. Yeah, sad. Uh, unfortunately, sad news. Um, you know, I've always liked Shingaki. I think she's been a great uh, person, you know, obviously from 2AW. So she she floats through um you know all these different joshi companies but i think she's been very good in a lot of different places and uh she will be missed but that you know this is sometimes the the way joshi goes is that you can wake up one morning and you know someone's announced they've retired seemingly um out of nowhere well hell taylor after last episode when we talked about uh, shiora sena so much then she announced right after we recorded that she was retiring Yes, it's, it's, uh, yeah, we were like, oh, it's so exciting. She, you know, got the win. Uh, great things coming, great things coming. And then she announced her retirement. So yeah, it can, it can really, uh, come out of nowhere. Although she did say she, she hoped that it was not permanent. So she has some sort of health problems, uh, but perhaps it's something that hopefully something that can be managed. And, uh, she at least seems hopeful that she might be able to come back to wrestling at some point. Yeah, you never know with the, you know, you never know if people will retire and you never know if those people who have retired have come back. We've seen it in many different Joshi companies, people who, you know, even some people who have stayed 
retired. You know, I'm thinking of last year with, you know, Mio Shirai, who is still a ref, uh, still works in Ice Ribbon, came back for that one match. So that was exciting. So, uh, and we saw the, you know, the Rumble, the uh, Stardom Rumble, Rumble at their big Budokan show. We saw a lot of people come back. So certainly possible that some of these people uh, return. I'm still waiting on Hazuki to come back. (laughs) (laughs) Still waiting. Hasn't happened yet. Uh, Okay. Well, there were, well, it's difficult to say two big shows for us to talk about. There was one big show and one other show that happened that was good. So uh, we got that going for us. We're going to dive into both of those. The Ice Ribbon Show, the Corkman Hall Show from April 24th, and uh, Seedling Show from a a very different version of Shinkiba First Ring than we're used to seeing. Uh, but let's start with the Ice Ribbon Show. What were your overall thoughts on this show, Taylor? I thought it was a strong uh, show. I think it had a number of good matches, uh, didn't overstay its welcome. So I thought it was uh, an improvement on um, their last Corican that they had um, in terms of some some of the matches which stuck out a little bit more for me. But, uh, you know, continues a good run for Ice Ribbon, I think, of, of certainly um, even the, the shows where maybe there's not a, a match that is really, you know, really calls to me, that they're, they're doing a lot of interesting things. I think they've got a lot of interesting stories going on, and, and so um, I really enjoyed it. I was, I was bored down on this show, I think, than usual. Uh, I've really enjoyed Ice Ribbon this year, but I think especially compared to this, I think the seedling show that we also watched highlighted some of my issues with this Ice Ribbon show. Um, primarily, and it was hurt a little bit by the fact that I guess whatever file they produced of this show for Nico, the triangle ribbon match was like cut off at the end. So that hurt because the top three matches were pretty strong. Uh, but the I just thought the undercard on this show, for me, was kind of a slog to get through uh, compared to the Seedling show. Yeah, I can see that. And it was a bummer. You are right that there was that issue with the um, with the Nico transmission of the show that cut off the end of the Triangle Ribbon match, which was a bummer because it was pretty short and it was a match that I was looking forward to. And uh, and. I, I think I might have been a little bit, um, little bit higher on the on the undercard than you were, which probably helped my overall thoughts of of the show. That's fair. Well, let's get into it. It started off with uh, Naoi Shikawa, Ram Kaicho, and Tekla defeating Bonnie Oikawa, uh, Hamako Hoshi, and Yepi. So I guess just hit me off here, Taylor. If uh, you enjoyed this part of the undercard more than I did. Interested to hear. Yeah, I thought, you know, I thought this match did did start a little slowly, but I thought by the end they sort of picked it up um, and it got pretty, pretty exciting at the end, you know, still in the, you know, the opening match sort of way. But, you know, I think Ice Ribbon has done a good job sort of developing a lot of these sort of mid card, lower card uh, wrestlers, you know, Ram, Tekla um, has been very good. You know, I just I also just watched her uh, challenge of Risa Sarah for the Fantast Ice title, which was very good. So she's had a, a very strong year. You know, Banny has been very good. So it was a match, you know, didn't overstay its welcome, but 
and, you know, picked up at the end. So overall, you know, pretty positive thoughts for me. Yeah, it's definitely one of those things where for me as a viewer, I have to keep in mind that uh, Japanese wrestling is most often made for the live crowd, right? It's it's not like watching, um, I don't know, the other, well, I mean, AEW, which I watch a lot of, obviously, is more, especially right now, made for television, right? Like with the with the viewer, the at-home viewer in mind. This is the kind of match that if I were watching it in person, like if I were at the show, I would have had just a great time, you know, uh, watching it. Not that I didn't have a great time, but it's just like when you put these first three matches together, I was kind of like, okay, I'm ready to get to like the the meat of this card. Yeah, and I also will say there that the the card was changed very late. Um, there were some swaps because Sayori, I know, was supposed to be in the second match, um, but she has a, I believe it's a spinal or a spinal or a neck injury. Uh, so she will be out for a while. So she was originally supposed to be in the second match, um, which didn't happen. So some things were shuffled around. So it, it, some of these matches, some of the lower card matches may have been a victim of um, sort of work on the fly after they had to change the, they had to change the matches pretty close to the show. That's fair. So I should be, I should be more forgiving, I suppose. Uh, next up, we had Ibuku Hoshi uh, defeating Miku Aono and Totoro Satsuki. I guess the interesting thing here was uh, Hoshi getting the win on her birthday. Yeah, and I'm I'm very interested to see um, what they do with Hoshi moving forward, where she ends up on the card, you know, getting the win here. She's sort of in that grouping with, you know, I think of someone like Micah Ozaki, um, who we'll talk about later, sort of um, wrestlers who are, you know, improving um, big time, but don't feel really to me like they have a, a sort of defined spot on the card, a defined position. Um, and I'm interested to see what the what Ice Ribbon does with them moving forward, if they're going to move up the card and become, you know, uh, singles title challengers regularly, um, or if they sort of stay in that mid-card sort of place. So, um, yeah, looking forward to see, because I think both Hoshi and uh, Micah Ozaki are, you know, improving and are very good. So looking forward to see what comes of them, because I think Ice Ribbon has shown a really good, ability to sort of take these younger wrestlers um, who are improving and really work with them and highlight their strengths. Um, you know, someone like Suzu is the probably the best example of that. Um, but, you know, I'm interested to see what the, what the future holds. Uh, next up, we had a four-way match with Akane Fujita, Mochi Miyagi, Nina Yamashita, and Nisa Seira, and it went to a no contest when a baseball game broke out, Taylor. Yeah, these, they love playing baseball. There was the uh, baseball, the Fantast Ice baseball match um, last year in Ueno Park. So I guess they <laughs> just want to play uh, baseball. A bit of a, I mean, I think this probably goes without saying, but probably the strangest um, match on the card, uh, and probably not what, well, if you know their personalities, maybe you could expect this, but probably not the outcome, 
that most people were expecting going into the match. Okay, so was the idea just that uh, the ref was tired of their shenanigans? It it felt like, because it was recorded as a no contest, but it really felt like when the pitch got thrown, that was the end of it uh, for the ref. So I I, I thought it was going to be like a disqualification, uh, but more of a no contest, I guess. Well, I don't know exactly what it was, but I would imagine that probably the ball being thrown would be a point because then you would have someone throwing a foreign object at another competitor. If we're thinking about it sort of in wrestling rules terms, you know, you have one person throwing an an object at someone, you have another competitor who has a bat, which is another weapon, um... So it could be that it was just or that the fact that they were all sort of cooperatively going along um, with this baseball game, you know, you think, okay, you're all sort of in this together. So it's a no it's a no contest. Yeah, Uh, this was fun, though, for the little, you know, they had the little I don't know what you call it, a square. I was going to say a circle. I guess it was a circle, even though there were four of them uh, where they were like, you know, I do a move to you. You do a move to the next person. And uh, Rina Yamashita just like slapping the absolute shit out of people and then doing the little bit where, you know, the person tries to switch to the other side, but then Rina just uh, slaps her anyway. (laughs) I I had fun watching that. Then we had the cursed Triangle Ribbon title match uh, with apparently Matsuya Uno uh, retaining her title, defeating Cherry and Tehoma. Uh, yeah, I mean, it was a very short match, which makes it even more of a bummer that we missed some of it because then it was an even shorter match. Um, this was probably the, the match on the card that I was most, um, you know, and some of it was that I missed the ending, which is not anyone's, you know, in the match's fault, but the match I was sort of looking forward to most as this sort of joint army explodes match. And then it was pretty short and didn't really deliver the way I thought it was. So probably, for me, the biggest letdown um, on this card. I thought the Uno and Honma parts were quite a bit of fun. It's just It seemed like when Cherry got involved, it was uh, less interesting to me. And part of that was because I think she brings more of like a, a lighter side to things. And I'd just seen like three lighter matches. So I was less interested in that at that point. Uh, Honma and Uno were just kind of like, beating up on each other uh, and, you know, slapping in arm bars and stuff, which I was enjoying. Then we got to uh, the, the third match in the Suzu Suzuki Hardcore Determination seven match series. Uh, she was defeated by uh, Masashi Takeda by referee's decision. Uh, the funniest part of this was uh, my wife was like vaguely hanging around and suddenly she decided to pay attention as this match started. <laughs> and so I felt like I had to explain what was happening. Uh, and she was very confused by the whole by the whole thing. Uh, well, and many people, uh, this this match was very controversial. A lot of people sending uh, Suzu Suzuki um, messages saying that she shouldn't have she shouldn't be doing this. Um, you know, my feeling always is, and this applies to this match and applies to really any wrestling match that happens is that if the wrestlers want to do it, um, you know, 
my thought is go right ahead. I have, you know, no problem as long as you think that, you know, if it's something you want to do and, you know, you're not putting someone else in danger by doing it, um, you know, I say go ahead. And I really thought this match was awesome. You know, the first two matches of this hardcore series um, that we've seen have sort of been, um, you know, they felt sort of like introductory, like, okay, Suzu Suzuki wants to do these hardcore matches. We're bringing these people in and they're just sort of, you know, doing hardcore matches, but they they feel sort of like, okay, we're not going to go, uh, you know, a hundred miles an hour. We're just going to sort of ease you in here. Um, you know, do some, do some, do some hardcore stuff, do some sort of more fun hardcore stuff. But this was the first match to me you know, this third match that felt like Takeda came in and was like, okay, you want to do a hardcore match? I'm going to do my style of hardcore match. Um, You know, sort of whether you like it or not, you know, bringing out the scissors, uh, which is a big Takeda thing, you know, and they still had some funny, you know, they had the bells, they had the um, sort of multicolored plastic fork ball, which was the one thing in the match I think didn't really work out because I don't think they realized how sort of mobile it would be that they put it down and it would move. Um, But I just thought it was great. I thought it made Suzu look really tough to take all this, you know, offense from Takeda. I think there was a lot of stuff with chairs that really, you know, I think so many people use chairs in matches like this that it feels like you've sort of seen you sort of seen it all, but I really liked uh, a number of things he did. He sort of stacked, he like lined the chairs up in the corner while Suzu was in the corner and then hit the chairs, which looked uh, really crazy. So overall, I thought it was, you know, easily the best of the three hardcore matches. And to me, it was my favorite match on the show. Yeah, it was my favorite match on the show too. I thought it was great. I I don't really get, I had heard like the discourse before I saw the match and I really didn't understand it. I mean, she got, she did get bloody. uh, That's for sure. But it seemed honestly, a lot of the stuff seemed like Takeda was going pretty gentle, uh, you know, as far as like uh, the kind of stuff that was happening in the match. Now he did hit, hit her very hard with a chair at one time. Uh, but it seemed like the chair was worked. So it was, uh, it was fine. Uh, but yeah, I'm with you. It's like, if this is what Suzu Suzuki wants to do, then I don't have any real problem with it. I don't have any problem with it at all. I mean, it, that's something that I'm very rarely going to agree with people on is like when people are worked up about safety, um, in wrestling matches, just like between two people and the kind of spots they decide to do, in a match, uh, that's basically never going to bother me. Uh, basically as long as the company or, you know, someone with on the card with more power, isn't like forcing someone or pressuring someone to do something, uh, then I don't really have uh, any sort of issue with it. Um, and I thought this, uh, was a lot of fun. Um, the staple spot was a lot of fun, you know, her stapling the, the thing onto his tongue. That was great. Uh, yeah, even the scissors, like he didn't seem to be really digging them in there the way he might uh, with somebody else. Um, so I don't know. 
I, I just enjoyed it. Uh, she announced that she's going to have Jun Kasai and Isami Kodaka for the next two. Uh, that sounds fun. So I, I'm all in on the on uh, this series of matches. Yeah, and I do think there's a just, you know, to, to speak a little bit more on that, I think there is a difference between, you know, if someone watches this and they're like, oh, this isn't really my style. This isn't really a thing that I enjoy. You know, that's different from someone, you know, and I think a lot of the the feedback to Suzu, at least from what she said and sort of what was talked about, was a lot of stuff that's like, oh, you're too pretty to do this and you're, you know, this and that, where it's a little bit different from, you know, when we always talk about, you know, like Kota Ibushi, you know, landing on his neck or something and people go, oh, it's not safe. There's a little bit of a different aspect to this with it, you know, being a woman, being sort of younger, coming from this company that isn't, you know, they do do a lot of this stuff with, you know, Risa Sarah and the Fantastic Ice stuff. Um, but, you know, at, so Aaron, I think we're on the same page that, you know, if they want to do it, if they're, you know, if they feel they can do it and it doesn't put someone else in danger, you know, I'm thinking of that like Lucha spot or someone like threw up a, a concrete brick at someone's head. Like that obviously is different because you've now put the other person in danger, you know, and they may not be okay with that. Um, But yeah, I'm perfectly fine with it. And I really liked, it's funny you mentioned the staple gun spot. I really liked that Suzu went for the low blow again, which has sort of become her calling card in these matches. And the first time it was blocked because uh, Takeda had the, uh, staple gun in his um, pants. And so I thought that that was sort of a cool thing of like, oh, Takeda's been studying or he heard that Suzu has figured out this method. And at least the first time, because she did get him again, she got him later in the match. But the first time it was sort of like, ah, we've learned that this is what Suzu is going to try and do to win. So I thought that that was sort of a cool story, um, story line in the match that really covered the entire, um, you know, series. It's also insanely patronizing to say to her, you're too pretty (laughs) to do this. (laughs) uh, And because you know that it was like men telling her that. Um, Oh yeah, of course. Yeah. So it's like, come on. (laughs) Uh, That's yeah. She should do what she wants to is uh, kind of my view. And like, we all do. Like, whether you think this is smart or dumb, we all do dumb things when we're young. So uh, I don't really have any problem with that either. But I thought Takeda took care of her was my main point. was like, at no point did I think this was more dangerous than like your average, uh, honestly, your average wrestling match, let alone your average death match. So it was well, and frankly, if if you know, if you're going to do a hardcore match and you're like, well, you need someone who's going to really, you know, you're really going to trust Takeda would be up there as, you know, a guy who's been doing it for so long at, at such a high level. Um, you know, he's a guy certainly that I would, I I mean, not that I'm going to be jumping in and doing hardcore matches anytime soon, but he's a guy that I would trust knowing his level, the level that he's been at, you know, in, at least in the last few years, if not longer. 
Yeah, that's another cool part about this series, I think, is it's all like the guys you would think of if you were going to have a, a deathmatch series. So that's been enjoyable for, for me anyway. All right, the International Ribbon Tag Team title match. We had a title change here as Hiragi Kurumi and Hiroyo Matsumoto uh, defeated the Rebel X Enemy team of Micah Ozaki and Maya Yukihi. Yeah, I thought this this match was I thought it was good. It didn't quite meet my expectations um for the match. I don't know what it was. It just never really clicked onto that next level uh for me. Um I wasn't totally surprised by the title change seeing that uh, Karumi and Matsumoto had just sort of had this storyline of hey, do you want a team together? It would be a bit weird for them to lose. Feels like Rebel and Enemies had the titles for, you know, long enough that it doesn't really hurt them that they lose it. Um, But overall, you know, probably in that like three and a half range where I was like, oh, it's pretty good. But, you know, I came into the match, especially with the matches that Rebel and Enemy has had in this tag title reign, which I think have been all pretty, pretty consistently um, good at a high level you know, a little bit of a disappointment for me. Okay. I'm glad uh, to hear you say that because, you know, my note was basically that the match was good, but it didn't really grab me, which I think is what you're saying. Also, is there just like, wasn't that hook about it that really got me uh, invested in the match in any way? I was just kind of like, okay, uh, we're doing this thing. And, and it led me more to uh, DMing you with maybe my most controversial question, Taylor, my most, my most controversial opinion. And I'm going to pose it to you here. Is Hiroyo Matsumoto's gear intended to evoke um, a hamburger or taco look? What do you think about that? Well, I just wanted to I just wanted to give a little pause there so that when (laughs) someone clips the show (laughs) for that quote that I'm not in the clip at all. (laughs) I don't I mean, I I prefaced it by saying it's a controversial opinion but i don't think it's out of bounds well it isn't even an opinion it's a question (laughs) well i'm suggesting with my question that it evokes to me a hamburger or taco so your opinion is it looks like a hamburger i i honestly do not know maybe there's someone out there who knows the history of this um look because i know it's not her only look that she's had um i don't know i was trying to think of some way that it would tie into you know the godzilla uh, Lady Destroyer um, gimmick that she has. And, you know, I don't really know if someone out there knows um, the history of Hiroya Matsumoto's gear um, and can let us know. That would be great. If you let us know, we'll talk about it. Uh, <laughs> we'll talk about it on the next episode. Of, it's just, uh, it's got that, it's got that brown base that like evokes a hamburger bun for me or a, a taco shell, depending on your, your interest. You got the red, or the the green, or the yellow. It all just kind of gives it gives me the feel of condiments. That's all. I mean, you may be you may be right. I I don't know. We'll we'll, <laughs> we'll see what what people have to say. You know, I don't know if there's um, if she's talked about it or if she said. Um, but I guess I guess if anyone listening knows, please let us know <laughs> the burning <laughs> you know, question the burning questions that we have. I met her at. Um, that pile driver. I wish I had asked her at that time. Is your gear meant to evoke 
uh, a type of food. Well, it's funny because I met her at, um, she was on the Shimmer uh, WrestleMania show in New York. So I met her there. So I could have asked her. Um, but of course, I didn't know that you had this thought. So it would have been hard to do. I'm going to be honest with you, Taylor. I've been thinking this for years and I've been too afraid to say it out loud. Uh, wow. So Well, I salute your bravery. Thank you. Thank you. All right. Well, let's talk about the main event of this uh, this show, the Ice Infinity title match. Uh, Tsukasa Fujimoto retained her title, defeating Tsukushi Haruka. Yeah, another match. A match sort of like the opener that I thought started a little bit slowly, but I thought by the end they definitely got there. Um, this was a match I went into with, with big expectations because these are the two um, – Two of the best workers um, in Ice Ribbon, if not maybe the two best, in my opinion. Um, so to me, it was sort of starting. I was like, okay, this is not quite where I thought it would get. And then by the end, I thought they really turned it up and uh, delivered delivered a very good match. So I was over four stars. I was at four and a quarter. You know, I was be- I was sort of between four and four and a quarter. But at the end, I I sort of really enjoyed the end. So I. I went up to four and a quarter. Yeah, I think that's fair. That's probably about where I would be. It didn't feel like it went to that next level, you know, to be in like the four and a half star range, but it was uh, very good. Takushi is just incredibly smooth. Everything she does looks looks good. Uh, like she flows so easily from, from one move to the next. Uh, and the thing that Suka does that I love, uh, and she showed a lot of that here, is... She's so good at being the only way I can describe it is like being dismissive of the other wrestler. Like there was a spot here where Takushi went to uh, run the ropes. You know, they're kind of like standing in the middle. Takushi goes to hit the ropes, going to come back and hit her. And, you know, you see a lot where that the other wrestler follows them and like, you know, cuts him off or whatever. But Tsuka instead just caught up with her and kicked her in the back of the leg <laughs> and she just fell and then she like kicked her in the head I think after that and it's just this great way of being like look you are nowhere near my level you know it's just like the that's what she gives off you know not that that's true but just like that's what her character uh, gives off uh, and I love that about her and I thought she did a great job of getting that across in this match yeah, overall, you know, I think I was expecting sort of in that four and a half, you know, star range, something in in line with the Suzu um, match earlier in this year. And it didn't quite get there, but still, I think really highlighted both of them um, very well. And I think they're two opponents that really, I mean, obviously, they've been in this company together, you know, for a while, which helps. But I think there are two opponents who really fit together very well. Their styles really fit um, in terms of, you know, having a having a good, having an interesting, a fun match. All right. Well, that's the Ice Ribbon Show. Anything else you want to say about that before we move on? In the hobby, it's not easy being a fan of ripping packs or repacks. We hype ourselves up thinking, ah, maybe I can pull a Ken Griffey Jr. rookie card But with zero transparency on available cards and hit rates, it's all just a shot in the dark. Until now. Introducing Slab Packs from ArenaClub.com, the only repack that provides real value, a complete view of all possible cards, and clear hit rates for each 
one. Now, when I buy slam packs at Arena Club, it finally feels like I know what I'm getting. I was able to open an Arena Club slab pack, and and I'll be honest, it was a lot better than what you normally do. Say you go to a card show, and there's a random innocuous brown bag of cards, and yeah, you can open it, and look, it's going to be junk. You're, you, you know what I mean? Like, you know what you're probably going to get in those. Maybe you find that fun, and sometimes I do. Sometimes I like just opening up cards and saying, oh, hey, look at some random cards or whatever, but if you're really in this game to, to find value and find particular cards... It sucks to have to buy these mystery packs, and it ends up being, you know, almost nothing. You know, nothing of value. Not with Arena Club. You can display, again, of all available cards, hit rates, grading, so you know that when you're opening up the slab pack, you are going to get something valuable. You are getting something good. And Arena Club, in addition to having those great slab packs we just talked about, is also a marketplace for card collecting, buying, trading, selling, displaying, all that sort of stuff. But those Arena Club slab packs, man, they are revolutionizing the repack game with transparency. After your polls are revealed, they'll immediately be placed in your vault for safekeeping or trading and selling, and you can have them officially graded by Arena Club as well. So again, setting these things off, it's going to be officially graded by Arena Club. And the Arena Club grading process is accurate, fast, and transparent with full grade rationale provided and explanation of how your card was scored. So whether you're buying, selling, trading, or displaying, Arena Club is the card collecting platform that you have to check out. So right now, I've got a special offer here for Voices of Wrestling Network listeners. You can get 10% off of your first purchase by going to arenaclub.com slash V-O-W-Net. Again, that's arenaclub.com slash V-O-W-Net. Now, that's a crazy offer. That's 10% off a $400 slab pack. $40 off right there. 10% off your first purchase. No matter what that purchase is, 10% off. Again, that's arenaclub.com slash V-O-W-Net, arenaclub.com slash V-O-W-Net for 10% off your first purchase on Arena Club. And we thank them for sponsoring the Voices of Wrestling Podcast Network. No, uh, you know, as I said, a, a fun show and worth um, we're checking out. I'm not sure whether it's still available. I don't think it's still available on uh, Nico, but if you if you look hard enough, you may be able to find it. It's certainly out there waiting to be watched. Okay, and then Seedling on April 26th, uh, they were at Shinkiba First Ring for a no-fans show, but a, a very different Shinkiba First Ring, Taylor. Yeah, back in, uh, yeah, with a different, um, I think it's like the training you know, I don't know what the setup there is. I don't know exactly how everything works there. But yeah, definitely very different looking. Although if you've watched some of the um if you've watched some of the seedling videos that they put up on their um YouTube in terms of like training videos or or promo videos, it's a it's a place that you may be that may look familiar to you because a lot of the training stuff that they post is from there. And I think they do their sort of quote unquote press conferences um, from there as well. Yeah. So there's just like uh workout machinery everywhere. There was a tanning bed in the corner. I was waiting for that to get used. It didn't. That was a little disappointing for me. Uh, but yeah, it was just kind of fun thinking about uh, having been in the building, you know, when it's set up for wrestling, just like how different it looks, you know, in that. But I, I was like, if I'm talking overall sh- thoughts on the show, I was pretty concerned going in. I DM'd you about it. 
because I started this show late at night and there were no fans. But honestly, it didn't end up being an issue for me. Like the they brought a lot of energy the whole show. Yeah, I mean, my con- my maybe controversial opinion is that I almost maybe enjoyed it more than you know a fan show because I think at this point you sort of in your mind you see fans at these shows and you understand that you know obviously there's these restrictions for people's health but you see them and you're like oh I wish they would cheer but with no fan shows you know mentally you sort of say okay there's no fans so I'm not you know you don't have expectations even though you understand that people can't cheer you know, you're not going in thinking, oh, there's fans and they should make a lot of noise. You know, you just go in and you say, well, there's going to be no fans. I'll just concentrate on the the in-ring stuff. And I think you are right that there were so many things, you know, all of these matches were very high energy. There was a lot going on um, during the matches, in between the matches. So I thought they kept a good energy. You know, the show didn't. Uh, the show was very, um, was was pretty short the sort of in-ring bell to bell was under an hour and a half. Um, So very easy, very easy to watch, but also I think easier for the wrestlers to keep that energy up for a shorter uh, period of time with no fans. It kicked off with uh, Ayame Sasamura defeating Rico Kaiju. And maybe it's just because I watched these, uh, most of these two shows kind of back to back, but like this opener, I really loved uh, now I I don't want to get the point across that like I don't like sillier stuff or goofier stuff because I really do, but you can also do these just kind of like short, very competitive, uh, hard hitting openers like early on on shows, um, and I thought they did a great job of that. And I just I quite enjoyed this match. Aaron, if there's anything I know about you, it's that you're deadly serious all the time. <laughs> yes, true. Um, when I'm not talking about whether gear looks like, uh, food. Um, yeah, I like the match as well. You know, I've always really been on the, uh, Ayami Sasamura, uh, train. I think she's really great and underutilized, um, in the world of Joshi. Um, you know, I thought that then she was injured, um, and then was out for a while, which I think hurt her a little bit, but I'm glad to see her back in seedling, Uh, establishing herself. She'll be on the next show as well, which we'll talk about coming up. But yeah, a a good show, a good sort of opener for for Rico uh, to go up against, you know, someone a little bit, you know, closer to her age, not a veteran, um, but someone sort of closer to her in experience and age. Then we had, you know, one of my favorite styles of matches, the uh, the high-speed three-way match. Kaho Kobayashi defeating Chikayo Nagashima and Itsuki Aoki. Uh, I trust that you loved this, Taylor. You know, it didn't really pull me in all that much. You'll be surprised to find out. You know, I didn't dislike it. Um, but, you know, I thought it was, you know, fairly good. I didn't really have many strong thoughts about it. I did think the end... Um, with Kaho sort of winning uh, what seemed by, you know, through, um, it wasn't her sort of winning the match. She sort of won it by default. Um, I thought that was funny. But overall, I didn't really have, um, didn't have a lot of strong thoughts about this match. Yeah, it's just not my, not my favorite style of match. Although, I, I mean, I did enjoy 
um, Natsuki Tayo just like doing the slow count for Kaho versus the fast count. That was kind of funny. So I did enjoy that. Uh, it's just not the kind of match that I that I truly love. Then we had a tag match uh, that went to a no contest with Las Fresas de Egoistas, uh, Asuka and Makoto, uh, going against Rina Yamashita and Yumiko Hota. Although mostly just Yumiko Hota, uh, Rina was was out of action for a bit, Taylor. Yeah, and Yumiko Hota, since she arrived in Seedling, has really been the uh, been one of the focuses sort of of the storylines, and she was the focus here um, in this match. And then after the match with uh, the Rico Kaiju stuff, Rico um, throwing the exercise ball into the ring in the middle of the match, which I thought that was an interesting – of all the things in that room to sort of throw in – the sort of large exercise ball, which probably weighs about two pounds, um, was an was an interesting choice. But I thought, obviously, you know, no winner, you know, a no contest in this match. Um, but I thought, you know, it was a lot of fun. It was high energy. Um, I I do really like the story of you know the Asuka Yumiko Hoda um, feud, which I think has taken on. You know, they've got sort of a lot of different pathways with this, that that's sort of the way it started. And then you got the Rico um, stuff coming in and then Yame Sasamura coming in to defend Rico after the match. So you've sort of got a lot of branching paths with this storyline, which I think is I think is pretty cool. Um, and I think that Sealing, as always, does a really good job of doing these sort of storylines, these you know, semi-main event, undercard storylines, so that it's not just sort of, you know, here's three mat- three random matches and then a main event. Yes, that's always helpful for uh, for your interest in a show. So the close this show out with the Beyond the Sea tag titles on the line. Arisa Nakajima and Anai Takahashi retained their titles against Honori Hana and Riko Kawahata in an excellent match. Yeah, I thought this was very good. I thought um, Hanori Hana looked uh, very good, is clearly um, improving. You know, I think Riko Kawahata has been a great uh, addition to, you know, I don't think she's officially signed or anything like that, but she's been appearing on the shows, and I think that she's been a really strong um, addition. I think she fits really well with the style of a lot of this roster, or at least, you know, the roster and then the people who sort of appear regularly, you know, Asuka, uh, Makoto. Um, so I think that this was was really strong. I don't think the outcome um, was really in doubt uh, between this, you know, more veteran team and the, and the younger team, which I think brought it down maybe a little bit for me. Uh, but I went three and three quarters, so I thought it was a, was a really fun match and a, and a good cap um, to, to what I thought was a very fun show. Oh, I liked it quite a bit better than you did. Um, probably would have been in like the four and a quarter range or so. Uh, just like what I love in wrestling, fast paced, hard hitting, felt urgent, um, just a lot of energy. Uh, just what I want to see, especially on like a show like this where, you know, there's not a not a ton going on. Uh, it's like, oh, here's just a kick ass match where we're going to go all out for 20 minutes. Uh, it was a lot of fun. So also, what are your thoughts generally about Rico Kawahata? 
Well, I, I mean, I think that she's very, um, talented. I mean, I like the, you know, obviously coming from the actress girl's background, you know, has the sort of dancing aspect, but has a sort of high energy to her that I, that I really like. And I think that she's a solid, you know, I think that she's a very solid in-ring worker. Do you have a, uh, did you ask that question (laughs) because you have a strong opinion? I don't have a strong opinion, but it's just like, you know how I said maybe early on we were doing this show that like Miyuki Takase like reminded me in some ways of Sari. You remember that discussion? Yes, I do. Well, then Riko Kawahata like reminds me in some ways of Miyuki Takase. <laughs> so it's like this. It's like a. I this sounds like um, this doesn't sound fair to Takase, who is excellent but it's like kawahata to me is like a a copy of a copy (laughs) in a way um i like her a lot i just it's hard for me to like knock that out of my mind when i watch her wrestle for some reason well and that makes sense because they come from the same you know place so they are sort of cut from this from the same same mold and i and i can see that um you know i can see that comparison um, obviously Takase is like one of the best in the whole scene. Yes. Um, but you know, I think Rico is someone who can, you know, I think is good now, but can even continue to improve, especially now that she's sort of branching out and facing new people. You know, I think it's always valuable in all of wrestling to, you know, face new people cause you can learn new things and you can, you know, make yourself better. I agree. So I'm glad that I wasn't uh, totally off base. Uh, with that take. Okay, well, those are the two uh, main shows that we watch for this week. Of course, we'll get into uh, the Spark Notes section and talk a little bit about uh, the very little else uh, that went on the past couple of weeks, Taylor. Yeah, so Stardom had a few shows on the 29th. They had an artist uh, title match between Oedo Tai and the Cosmic Angels, the champion, the Cosmic Angels, with the Cosmic Angels uh, retaining. Um, the one thing, and I did watch the match, and the one thing that I think is really valuable about the Cosmic Angels is that they are, they feel to me like every match they're in, um, they're the underdogs in a way, um, which I think is really valuable. And it's not something that, it's it's not a feeling I get with really any other. I'm trying to think of really any other uh, person or group in stardom where I get that feeling of, you know, oh, they're the underdog. They could lose at any point. You know, they obviously won this match. They're the champions. But I think that that's a really valuable uh, tool for a company to have with a group where there will always be this tension of, oh, you know, this could be the match that they lose. So I think that that was really valuable. I I don't think the match really was anything to go out of your way to see. Um, But that was just a a big thought that I had while watching that match. Um, And then uh, just today, um, there was the tag title match between the ALK, um, Julia and Shuri against Momo Oz. Uh, with Julia and Shuri retaining the title um, after pinning Azumi. So, so sorry to Aaron. Um, Again, uh, Momo coming away from a title challenge, unsuccessful uh, once again. 
But I can't wait for people to tell me how this means she got a big push this year. Uh, but anyway, uh, <laughs> Tokyo Joshi also had a few uh, more shows. They've continued to do their all English shows. Those happen on Wednesday um, and Sunday nights, at least here on the East Coast of the United States. Uh, they had, and then they had some smaller shows uh, on the 24th and one yesterday on the 1st. And they had a few matches on the Future Urban Music Festival. I don't think that those matches aired, but um, photos of um, the matches w- were going around Twitter. Uh, there was one because it was at Ueno Park. There was one with uh, Hikari Noah diving off um, part of the stage. Um, at Ueno Park, so it looked like a looked like a fun show. I don't think that that is there, but you know, I would, I will keep my eyes peeled because hopefully, maybe they'll put it on Wrestle Universe because it looked like uh, looked like a fun show in a fun environment. I always love shows at Ueno Park because I think it's a cool sort of change of pace from you know places like Shinkiba and and things like that. Uh, Ice Ribbon, the Peas League, came to a close with Itsuki Aoki defeating Rina Shingaki in the finals. And she will get an IWGQ title match, which we'll talk about in the upcoming shows. Uh, Diana had um, a show on the 18th of April, which had just happened when we recorded the last show. So we didn't even have the results at that point. Uh, But Kyoko Inoue defeated Ayako Sato for the Diana title. And very happily for this podcast, uh, the Tag team, the Luminous Tag Team defeated Ayami Sasamura and Rina Shingaki to win back the tag titles um, on that show. So that's very exciting. And then Diana has been doing uh, a number of dojo shows. They did one on the first, which was a Madeline. uh, Three matches she was in all of them. They did one uh, today as well, and they have one upcoming tomorrow. Um, actress girls had two shows where they did a number one contenders tournament for the colors title. Uh, Hikari Shimizu defeated Misa Matsui in the finals of that. And then also on that 429 show, Saki def- successfully defended her colors title against Yuna Mizumori. And then finally, Chaco Pro started season seven. They are doing a show every day from the first to the fifth for Golden Week. Um, they had 110 on the first with an eight-person tag, Pencil Army against Best Bros and the Egg Tarts, which I'll talk about in a few minutes. Um, and then they did 111 today, which had Best Bros versus Minoru Fujita and Rina Yamashita in the main event. So that is everything. Um, that is the few things that have happened, shows that were not canceled and still went ahead in the past two weeks. All right. And we had been early in this show doing a little section on our, our recommended matches, but Taylor, you wanted to bring it back. So yeah, I, <clears throat> tell us some, some matches that you've enjoyed. I figured why not bring it back? Feels like a good time. Some of these matches we have uh, talked about in our bigger reviews, but I have uh, four matches, four recommended matches. Uh, the first one, Masashi Takeda against Suzu Suzuki from that Ice Ribbon show on the 24th, as well as Tsukasha Fujimoto and Tsukushi Haruka from that same show. Definitely both worth checking out. 
um, as well as recommending that uh, Arisa Nakajima and Nanai Takahashi against Norihana and Riko Kawahata match from the Seedling uh, April 26th show. All three matches we're checking out, but I do have to give a special shout out. Uh, just mentioned Chaco Pro 110, um, and I have to give a shout out. Definitely worth going and checking out the Pencil Army, uh, Lulu Pencil, Emmy Pencil, Minoru Pencil, and Chris Pencil against the best bros of Mace Ruga and Balianaki and the egg tarts of Chie Koshikawa and Hagane Shino. A great match. Um, Chaco Pro 110, it's a one match show. So that match takes up the entirety of the runtime, but there's a lot of things that happen. I said, once I finished it, I was talking with some people who also watch it. I said, I think it's probably a top five episode of Choco Pro, which says a lot considering they've done 110 and now 111 episodes, Uh, but very strong. Worth checking out, even if you haven't been following um, the Choco Pro stuff. There's not a ton of storyline in the match, so it's something that's very easy to follow, and it's it's go, go, go action really from start to finish. So one, uh, probably my most recommended, my most recommended match of the past uh, two weeks. All right, well, you, you told me too close to the show for me to really think about this. Uh, so for next episode, I will put together my recommended matches. But I, I haven't seen Choco Pro 110 yet, uh, but I agree with the other three. They were all certainly matches that I would suggest people watch. So that's just what I'll say. Uh, but let's talk about uh, some shows that are coming up and included in this. We will do a preview of the Tokyo Joshi Pro Korokuen show on May 4th. Yeah, so Stardom uh, has a number of shows coming up. They have a show on the 4th that's highlighted by a Donna Del Mundo Mundo, uh, Queen's Quest uh, eight-person tag match in the main event. On the 5th, a few things happening. They are doing a Donna Del Mundo versus New Generation five-match series on the card. Himika against Rina. Natsupoi against Mina Shirakawa, Micah versus Hanan, Shuri versus Hina, and Julia versus Ruaka. So those should be some interesting matches. And then in the main event, it is a four-way tag title contenders match, uh, Utami Hayashishita and Sayaka Matani against Mayu Iwatani and Starlight Kid against Tom Nakino and Unagi Sayaka against Natsuko Tora and Konami. So the winner will become the new uh, number one contender for the tag title. So lots of strong uh, teams in there and lots of possibilities for who could be the next uh, challenger for those tag titles. They have, they then have shows on the fifth or they have shows on the eighth and the ninth. And then on the 14th is the, will be the second round of the Cinderella tournament Uh the Cinderella tournament now will become a three-day tournament. So the 14th will have the second round. And I believe the 29th show on the 29th will have the final. We'll have the finals. Um, so it's now gone from a one-day tournament to a two-day tournament to a three-day tournament, partially out of the hands of stardom, but that will be interesting to see. And then they also have shows on the 15th and 16th. 
So that is Stardom's very busy schedule um, as we hit Golden Week here. Uh, Seedling has a show on the 12th, which is going to feature Yumiko Hoda and Rina Yamashita against Ayami Sasamura and Riko Kaiju, um, which spins off from the happenings of that 426 show with Ayami coming out to defend Riko. And then in the main event, uh, Arisa Nakajima and Nanahe Takahashi will take on Asuka and Makoto in a tag title match. And if Asuka and Makoto lose, La Frescas have to disband. So we will see what happens. Nanai saying that uh, La Frescas are, are part of the past and should disband. So uh, we will see what happens. I know that they are, you know, Asuka, Makoto, uh, Rico fan favorites in that group. So we will see if they take them apart. Well, Taylor, somebody brought up the point that when this last happened, it was because uh, Leo Mizunami was going to AEW. Oh, um, <laughs> Taylor apparently did not see that discussion. <laughs> no, I did not see that. I did not see that discussion. I did not think of that, you know, but it is interesting because, you know, Asuka now is the, is the beyond the sea champion, you know, singles champion, obviously. But I do wonder sometimes if you could, I mean, my thought would always be with this, that if I were Nanai, I would say, okay, let's figure out a moment when we have, you know, X amount of time, whatever the time needed is, when we have three weeks between shows or something, or we can lose you for a show and send her over and have her with the title uh, and get some sort of, you know, notoriety for seedling. It would certainly help. Um, it's a little bit tough with all the restrictions with the traveling restrictions and things like that. Um, but it's an interesting thought. Look, I would love to see Asuka show up in AEW. I think she did very well in their tournament. Um, and I think that they've, I think AEW has done a good job sort of bringing in, you know, they had Maki Ito, they had, uh, Takeshita, uh, come over for a little while and he did a few matches. So I think that they've done a good job sort of bringing these people in, highlighting them, and then they sort of go back to Japan. So, uh, certainly an option. Everyone who listens to this knows I'm a big Asuka fan. So more opportunities for her, um, are better for me. And frankly, you know, some people might argue, oh, well, she, you know, just stay in Japan. You can see her in Japan. But if the debate is between she goes to AEW or she goes to WWE, I would take AEW 10 million times um, before WWE because I do feel like that WWE, you know, it's sort of WWE signing her is the um, sort of sword hanging over everyone's head where it's like, oh, Go oh, gosh, that would really be killer if to lose her. So, yeah, I mean, I kind of agree. It's like I would obviously because I have to watch uh, every week of AW. I would love to see Asuka there, but I also love seeing her in Japan on the scene. So, you know, either as long as I get to watch her wrestle, I'm going to be pleased. Basically, yeah. But like I said, AEW has also done a good job of sort of being like, here's someone who's featured, and it's not like they're staying in AEW for six months. You know, they sort of come over, they're there for a week, they tape, you know, three or four matches and then they leave, which I think is, 
you know, I think is a good system because it helps them out. It features them. It gets, you know, AEW another body. And then they can go back and, you know, still do things in Japan with, with their company. So I do think the way it's been, and it may change once the travel, you know, traveling can happen again and things like that. But I think it's sort of been the best of both worlds currently for, you know, the situations with Ito and Takeshita. Um, so maybe they can do that for for some more people and some more Joshi wrestlers. I agree. Um, but uh, next is Oz has a show on the 9th. Um, the card is Akino against Mei Suruga, which I think is a is a fun match. Um, that I'm looking forward to seeing Kaho Kobayashi against Sakura Hirota. Um, and then the third match is, so there's six wrestlers, Sony Kokado, Kakuro Sekiguchi, Mayumi Ozaki, Yumi Oka, Aja Kong, and Hiroyo Matsumoto. Um, they will be split up um, through, I think, a draw into two teams of three. So you will have some mixing of these units, these Oz Academy units, because you have two uh, Mission K4, two Osaki Goon, and two uh, Beast Friend um, wrestlers. They will be split up into two three-person teams. And then the winning team will get one million yen um, from Mayumi Ozaki. So maybe Mayumi Ozaki will win the match and uh, save some money there. But that uh, show is highlighted. Kaori Yoniyama and you are going to make their first defense of their newly won tag titles against Tsubasa Kuragaki and Itsuki Aoki. So that is the Oz show. And then uh, time to talk about uh, Tokyo Joshi on their upcoming Korokin show. All right. How exciting. Now, you've listed this here from top to bottom. Is that how you want to go through it, Taylor? Well, why don't we go from bottom to top? Okay. We're going to have a – this is an exciting – uh, match at the bottom too. I can't imagine this is actually going on first, but uh, it's how it's listed. So we're going to talk about it first. Princess of Princess Championship next challenger three way match: Yuka Sakazaki versus Mizuki versus Shoko Nakajima. The winner will challenge whoever wins between Rika Tatsumi and Miyu Yamashita at the Saitama Super Arena Main Arena Cyber Fight Festival 2021 on June 6th. Yeah, so that will be the Tokyo Joshi title. Uh, representation on that big joint show uh, with DDT, Noah, um, Tokyo Joshi will be there. So it will be the big show. So it will be, that will be, you know, obviously the highlight match will be the title match for uh, Tokyo Joshi. Well, what do you think? Who's going to win this one? (sighs) I don't know because, you know, I also think it's interesting now because, as we talked about, we're in the state of emergency. There's some debate that it will extend into the end of June, which would mean that this this show, um, the June 6th show, would be affected. So I guess, you know, you would think initially when you're thinking, okay, we have a big show we want to try and draw, you might try and pick the two biggest names. But, you know, you have some DDT matches, Noah matches that may be able to draw the fans in enough. You know, I'm wondering whether, you know, I guess my thought would be, is it a Mizuki win again? And she goes on to this big show and sort of gets that win that she didn't get last year against Yuka. And maybe they build 
towards closer to the end of the year, a rematch of Mizuki and Yuka Sakazaki um, that they do at the big end of the year show where Mizuki can finally sort of win the big one, defeat her and, you know, establish herself as champion. You know, that's a very sort of usual path is that, you know, you don't beat someone, someone else gets a title, you beat them and then you sort of have the return match and you're the champion now as opposed to them. So I think that that, could be an interesting um, outcome. Mizuki wins, goes on to take take on uh, Rika Tatsumi, wins it there on a on a big show, and then has that sort of big goal post in the future of Yuka Sakazaki is going to come for her, and she will have to successfully defeat her to retain the title. Yeah, it all comes down to who you think would win that match. You know the. I assume Rika Tatsumi versus whoever is the winner of this match. Uh, because if, if Tatsumi is going to win, there's no point in it being Mizuki, I don't think, because you want Mizuki... I think in Mizuki's next title match, you want her to win. So, you know, and to me, Shoko's kind of been out of the mix a little. Uh, if you're really trying to establish Tatsumi, which they've been doing, like her beating Yuka, I think, would be helpful to her. And also... Yuka would come out of that fine. So uh, my sense is whoever wins this match will tell us a lot about where the Tatsumi title reign is going. Yeah, I think it's a little bit too early in my mind to do Sakazaki again. You know, even though at that point by June, it will have been six months. Um, I do think that You know, I think Shoko Nakajima winning would sort of be that, okay, we're having someone winning. They're going to go to the, you know, go to this big show. But I think that that would indicate to me that Tatsumi is probably retaining because she seems like the one person where it would feel a little bit to me sort of like, okay, this is just another, you know, it's just another defense for Tatsumi, you know, someone who is on the higher level, but as you said, isn't quite at that tippy top level where when they get a title match, you expect a victory um, from them. So, you know, I don't see Sakazaki. So I think it's between Mizuki and Nakajima. Although I do think you're right that I think that Mizuki's next title challenge should be a win for her. She should win the title. So I think if she wins here, that would be the outcome. So I think it's if Mizuki wins, I think she's going on to the big show to win. And if it were Shoko, I think it's just another defense for Tatsumi. I just want Mizuki to win on a, on a Tokyo Joshi pro proper show, you know, um, just for like that. And I, I mean, frankly, I'd like for it to be held off for like a, a nice big crowd. Uh, but that's kind of, that's kind of my thought on Mizzy. It just like seems like such a big moment when she finally wins the title. Yeah, of course, as we talked about, holding it off for a big crowd might mean holding, you know, holding a match for a year plus oh, at yeah. this point, which, oh, yeah. you know, I guess you could do, but then you've probably got to, you know, I would think you would need at least one other champion because I'm assuming Rika is not going to hold for over a year. You know, she could. Um, but I just don't see it as that sort of rain, you know, super dominant, you know, crushing, crushing everyone she faced, sort of like that Miyu rain 
where she beat all the challengers for so long. I don't see that. I don't see Rika's reign as that. Um, but, you know, I think that they could give it to Mizuki and say, this is a big show. You know, it's a joint show with all of these promotions that we have. Um, so they may see it as a big show for her to win. And then, of course, the bigger, you know, thing is the Yuka challenge, which is going to have all this history to it. And so that and that, of course, would be on a Tokyo Joshi show proper. So that may be the big match they're sort of aiming for. All right, let's look at what else is on the bottom of this card. We have uh, Pam Harajuku and Harunaneko versus Mahiro Kiru and Muka Miyamoto. What are your big, huge thoughts on that match, Taylor? Uh, my big, huge thoughts are sh- should be a fun match. <laughs> we got Hyper Misao, Noroka Tenma, and Yuki Aino versus Naokakta, Marika Kobashi, and Raku. Yeah, should an interesting... <laughs> Yeah, should be a fun match, but an interesting teaming of uh, Masao and the Bakuretsu sisters. It will be, you know, the Bakuretsu sisters are uh, are in an interesting place now, having lost the tag titles. And there's been some, you know, Yuki Aino has had some singles opportunities, you know, before they won the tag title. So it'll be interesting to see if they stay together or if they sort of move apart into more singles focused uh, programs. I don't know that we'll get that answer in this match, but something to keep an eye on. Then we get the big idol debut match, Yuki Arai. Uh, she is teaming with Miyu Watanabe to take on Maki Ito and Arisu Endo. So we get a uh, failed idol versus successful idol in this match. Yeah, and an interesting match, you know, that it isn't like that they, it isn't that they've stacked this match with veterans, I mean, Endo is very new and, you know, Miyu Watanabe is still relatively young. And even Ito, who I think is the longest tenured, although that may be wrong, but no one really, you know, you would think, okay, we have a big rookie debuting. They're getting a lot of talk. You might think, okay, who is a very established person we can throw in there to ensure that you know, this goes well, but I think it shows a lot of faith in the improvements of a lot of the workers on this roster that you can, you know, I look in this match and I say, oh, they're all fairly uh, young wrestlers, but I don't look at this and go, oh, oh no, it might, this might be a disaster. I think it will still be a very good match and we'll see if uh, Yuki Arai is sort of in that same area as Arisa Endo, who came out the gate very strong. Um, we'll see if that's pattern continues or maybe that was a one-off and that would make endo look even better but certainly an interesting match obviously you know yuki arai is not your everyday you know oh we got someone coming out of the dojo so uh looking forward to it uh ito is the longest tenured wrestler uh in the match he was at least in tokyo joshi a year before miyu but goes back of course to uh a long time ago 2013, Maki Ito's first match. That's all. Um, International Princess title on the line, Yuki Kamafuku versus Hikari Noah. Yeah, this is an this is a an interesting match because I, you know, I have when they announced the match, I was thinking, well, is this you know, Hikari Noah hasn't been winning a lot of matches. 
but it has felt like between the hardcore match and the Yamashita match and the stuff at the, at the festival, which I talked about with her getting a lot of press of jumping off the, you know, stage. Is this a time to sort of pull the trigger and see what she can do? Or is the thought still that she's got to build up more? I mean, I think, I think very easily I could see Hikari Noah winning this match. Um, you know, she's sort of, she's gotten, um, sort of the wind in her sail. So it feels like it wouldn't be out of place for her to say, you know, I used this experience. I didn't win, um, these big matches that I was in, but I used the experience and went into a big match and, you know, use that to win. So I could certainly see that happening. And I think, you know, Hikari Noah was someone back when they were running that tournament, uh, to crown the new champion who I thought could have won that tournament, and didn't quite get there. So I think that this could be the moment where she wins the title. All right. Interesting. Um, either way, I think like this is another example to me. We talked about this the last few shows of like the, how much they've strengthened the cards and like extended the cards to where there's, you know, much better stuff up and down the cards in Tokyo Joshi pro. And this, I think is a great example, third from the top, but like, a match that I'm really looking forward to without using any of like the people who are in the three-way match, uh, Yamashita, Maki Ito, you know, any of that, you still got a strong match here at third on the card. Yeah. And I think, I think really the, the four matches, you know, obviously the sort of Yuki Arai debut match, you know, you don't go in going, Oh, it's going to be a four and a half star match, but there is sort of some interest in it. So I think really the whole top, and this has been the case, for the last few months, I think looking back on all the cards that they've really have a company now that you sort of expect the top half of these Corican shows to be very strong. And I think this one is very strong. Yeah, I a hundred percent agree. The uh, tag title match, Saki Sama and Mei Sami shell uh, in their first defense against Mirai Mayumi and Suzume. Yeah, I think this is one. I think this is probably the match where the outcome for me seems least um, in question, but it's a match I'm still really looking forward to. You know, a big opportunity for uh, Mirai and Suzume. And I think, as I've talked about in the past on past shows, they've gotten very good. And I think that this show, or I think that this match could really be very good. Obviously, the main event's going to have big. Um, you know, high standards with Yamashita in the match against Tatsumi. But I think that this match could really steal the show, um, especially for people coming in who may be, may be drawn in by Yamashita or hearing about that. Um, you know, I think Mayumi is improving every time out. Suzume is very good. You know, May Saint Michel, as I've talked about on this, you know, show, is very good exactly what Tokyo Joshi is looking for. So I think that this could really be a very, very strong match. Yeah. I'm excited for uh, Miami to just have another opportunity like up higher on the card. I think every time she's in these spots, I mean, whatever spot she's in, she delivers. So I think this is going to be uh, exciting to see her like in a title match. Yeah. I don't think there's any chance that she and Susan may win, but it gives uh, her another opportunity to really just show off how good she's becoming. And then in the main event, or the Princess of Princess title, uh, Rika Tatsumi 
defends against uh, the long-tenured champion, Miyu Yamashita. Well, Aaron, I'll ask you, what do you think what do you think the outcome of this match is going to be? I think Katsumi's winning. I I it's I mean it's less or it's what's the how do I need to say this? It's more in doubt than the tag title match, but not much for me. Yeah, I agree. I was just I was just curious to see um if you thought the same. I mean, I think Tatsumi you know, almost has to win this one to sort of establish herself because I think Yamashita winning sort of cuts her legs out from underneath her um, in terms of I think that's the story of, you know, you beat me in the past. And so this is the this is, I think, the moment to really solidify Rika at the top of the card. You know, I think obviously this match will be good. Yamashita has been delivering um, good matches seemingly on every one of these Korokins. And now this has the extra, you know, it's the main event. It's for a title. It's high stakes. So I think that this this should really deliver. And, you know, if everything in sort of the top half of this, this card delivers the way that it possibly could. Now, some of these, you know, it's always possible they under deliver. But if they deliver in the way that I think they could, I think that this could really be a sort of sneaky contender for you know, a show, a show of the year, frankly, between the open, you have the opener between three really great wrestlers. And then you have these, you know, the interesting debut and three pretty strong top title matches. You know, I think that this could really deliver and be a really, really great show. Oh yeah. I'm a hundred percent really looking forward to this. We'll definitely, well, I shouldn't say definitely cause it's in the middle of the week, isn't it? So I may not stay up to watch it live, uh, but uh, it's going to be a great show. Tatsumi has, to me, and maybe I was just wrong on Tatsumi, but has over-delivered as champion. So I'm like, I have great expectations for this title match. All right, we're looking forward to that one. I mean, sadly, it will be old news by the time uh, we record again, but I'm sure uh, we'll have some thoughts on it by then. But uh, what else is coming up in the next couple of weeks, Taylor? So Tokyo Joshi also has two shows on the 5th and the 14th. And then Ice Ribbon, another company that's going to have a busy uh, period in this next two weeks. They have three days at the Yokohama Wrestling Festival. Um, on the third, there will be a Triangle Ribbon title match, Matsuyu Uno, Tekla, and Ibuki Hoshi. Uh, on the fourth, Tekla versus Madelin for the WUW Underground title that Tekla holds. And then Tsukushi Haruka against Itsuki Aoki. Um, Itsuki Aoki winning the Peas League and so getting her IWGQ title match at this show. And then on the fifth is that Suzu Suzuki Jun Kazai match, the fourth match in the Suzu Suzuki Hardcore Series. The only disappointment here is that I don't believe uh, Yokohama um, allows for hardcore matches, so we'll see how that gets sort of worked around in this match. Uh, with Jun Kasai. And then they have a show on the 8th. On the 9th, the 5th match in the Hardcore Series, Suzu Suzuki versus Isami Kodaka. That should be a really fun match. And they have shows on the 15th and 16th as well. So lots of shows coming up for Ice Ribbon. Uh, Actress Girls has shows on the 4th and the 16th. Diana has... A uh, as I mentioned, another dojo show that will be airing on YouTube tomorrow. 
Uh, Wave has a tag title match coming up tomorrow. Uh, the champions Rin Katakura and Itsuki Aoki will take on the Ladius team of Sae and Konatsu. So that should be an interesting match. Don't really see the two of them um, sort of out and about in the greater universe of Joshi. So looking forward to that. And then, as I mentioned, Chuckle Pro's doing shows every day through the 5th. Um, so they have the show on the 3rd. They're using a lot of actress girls, channel, actress girls talent. Uh, show on the 4th has Lulu Pencil versus Sayaka. Um, if someone were to win that match, it would be their first one-on-one victory. Of course, it could always go to a time limit draw or a DQ, I guess. Um, but an interesting outcome there. And then Trans Am Hiroshi will have his 10-year anniversary match against Bali and Aki on that show. And then on the fifth, the main event, the best bros, Meisuruga and Bali and Aki against Saki and Saika Obihiro. So um, lots of fun Chuckle Pro shows coming up. In addition to all the um, big number of shows, you know, it was a quiet sort of last two weeks, partially due to the cancellations, but things are definitely ramping up for the next two weeks. All right. Well, uh, I think that's everything for this week, Taylor. Uh, what do you think? Is there anything else left to discuss? Aaron, I think we covered it all. <laughs> Follow us on Twitter at JBombAudio. I'm at Aaron Like the Car. Taylor's at Tay Mambo. Uh, subscribe to the podcast. Give us a five-star rating and review. And if you'd like to donate to the show, head over to redcircle.com slash shows slash jumping dash bomb dash audio. Uh, that's it. We'll see you in, in two weeks time, friends. Bye-bye.